Can I get a mic music stand? You happen to be in the house of the Lord, say, I'm happy. happy. (laughs) God is good, amen? (laughs) Somebody was really happy. I think that was, was that, was that Melody? Was that you? Somebody said, I'm happy. (laughs) I have a word for you today from the Lord. God desires to speak to his people. Amen. You know, God's not this, uh, he's not this figure that's aloof. He's up in the clouds. He, he just looks down and controls things, but he never talks to us. That's, or he set everything up, but then he doesn't talk to us. That's called deism. It's not Christianity. You know, there's a lot of people who are professing Christians, but practicing deists, you know, and, uh, And so they come into the house of the Lord and they don't believe that God actually wants to speak to them about something going on in their life right now. But God, he is a personal God. He is a personal God and he desires to talk to you. And he will even he will use me to do it. I said it. (laughs) If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue as we're working through, and we're going to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Some of you may be thinking that, man, it is taking a long time for us to get through 1 Corinthians. I'll put some perspective here. I believe John Piper spoke through Romans like 10 years or something. Mark Driscoll has been speaking through Luke, or he was speaking through Luke for three years. Don't worry, it's not going to take us that long to get through 1 Corinthians. But just to give you some perspective, when we go through the word, we want to go through it intentionally. We want to hear what God is saying. And yeah, because God is someone who's speaking to us in this particular time for this particular moment. Today, I want to talk to you about something that each and every one of us has experienced. Today, I want to talk to you about discipline. Discipline. Now, I'm not talking about discipline like I read my Bible every day. I'm talking about discipline like the discipline your parents would maybe give you as a child. Or maybe discipline that you, if you have children, you give your children. We don't have a lot of people here that have children. Hopefully, soon, we will have some. I'm only looking at the married couples, the five of them. I want to talk to you about discipline. You know, discipline gets a bad rap in the church today. You talk about discipline and everyone starts squirming in their seats. You know, oh, discipline. I don't really want to talk about discipline. I don't really want to talk about experiencing discipline. I don't want to talk about administering discipline. I don't want to talk about discipline. And it's because many of us have had a probably a pretty bad or some interesting experiences when it comes to being disciplined. I know for myself, I've ex- I have some experiences in terms of getting discipline. You know, in the South, we called it whoopings. <laughs> whoopings. Whoopings. W-H-O-O-E-P-I-N. Wait, it's got some letters up in there. It's whoopings. 
said it just like that. That's how my mom used to say it. I'm about to give you a whooping. Just her saying that was punishment enough. It's like the psychological warfare going on. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, said, I haven't even touched you yet. True. She said, why are you crying? I haven't even touched you. Oh, no, no. It already hurts. You know, I'm sure each and every one of us, we, we experience discipline, especially growing up. I know my mom was a pro at it. My mom was real good about some discipline. She would grab, I don't know how, she had like stretch Armstrong kind of arms, you know? Like she would just reach out and grab things that were close. Like I didn't even think they were close. I would try and like do bad stuff, but position myself so that I'm away from stuff. But in those moments, my mom was always carrying something. She was like, oh, you thought I didn't have, you know? <laughs> she just pulled it out of left field, you know? I'm like, how did you get that? That's a tree branch. <laughs> you know, we've experienced discipline as children. I know that, you know, discipline as a child, it involves a lot of crying, a lot of fear. And for some of us, discipline as children involved the loss of love. You know, you felt less love, not more loved when your parents disciplined you. In fact, you felt like your parents were taking out their frustration on you through their discipline. Discipline. I mean, we've all experienced it to some degree. I hope we have. A person who has not experienced any discipline is undisciplined. And you can't, you can't do anything with that kind of person. But the problem is, is that many of us have a very childish understanding still of discipline. When we speak in the church about God disciplining, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. He doesn't treat you as an illegitimate child, as a bastard. It's in your Bible. He disciplines you because he loves you. But many of us, we can't compute that in our minds because we still have a childish understanding of discipline. And therefore, our response to discipline is very childish. It, it's in... Many different ways. We respond to discipline with fear. You know, if I do anything wrong or if God decides to discipline, I'm filled with so much fear. Now, I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord. I'm talking about a different kind of fear. Or maybe we're filled with anger and resistance. I had one cousin. I remember my grandmother, when she would discipline her, it was like the discipline made her worse. She would get angry and resist even harder. And then some of us, we experience discipline and therefore we harden our hearts. I'm going to harden my heart. Therefore, I don't have to experience the brunt of it. But the problem with these responses and the problem with having a warped or childish view of discipline is that if you have these warped views of discipline, and a warped response to discipline, you will administer discipline in a warped way as well. Right? It's like that parent with their child. She says, you know, her mom was abusive to her. So she says, I'll never treat my child that way. And therefore, she never disciplines her child and her child ends up worse off. And she's wondering what's happened. Or the person who, who's filled with so much anger and unforgiveness towards their parents that when they have children, they end up disciplining them the same way. And they're wondering, why is this process continuing? You can't administer discipline well if you have a warped view of discipline. 
you end up being a harsh taskmaster, right? Punishing everything. You walk around like a, like a vigilante in your life, even in the church, or a pushover. Someone sins or someone messes up or someone does something wrong and you say, well, it's all good. No, no worries. There's grace. But what I want you to get today, if you get, you don't get anything else. You know, the pushover says, oh, no, it's all good. There's grace. There's grace. And it's because they have a misunderstanding of of discipline and of grace. The person who's a harsh person who, who doesn't administer, ever give any grace, they have a misunderstanding of grace as well. But what I want for you to get today is that discipline is grace. Godly discipline is grace. And there is no such thing as grace without godly discipline. I'll say it again. Godly discipline is grace. It is grace to you. And there is no such thing as grace without godly discipline. I want to pray for us before we go any further. Father, I thank you that today you want to bring your church to maturity in a new way. I thank you, God, that you are desiring for us to put off childish things. And to begin to think like those who are mature in Christ. Father, I pray right now, Lord, for every heart, for every mind, for every ear to open to your word, God. And I pray, Father, that as this word goes out, that no one in this room would harden their heart. But that every person in this room, God, would have faith to believe that you are speaking. Yeah, Lord. So I break off the spirit of unbelief. I break off every critical or lying or mocking spirit. And, Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to begin to move in this place. Father, I thank you for what you want to do and what you are doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today, I'm going to be very clear. I'm going to be very clear with you today. Discipline is grace. Many of us, our experience has been that discipline is punishment and there's no grace in that. Discipline is revenge. It's vengeance. You know? I remember there were times where I would get disciplined. And it was like, it was like, well, not my mom. My mom would discipline me in the right way. But it was my stepdad. Because I, I wasn't his child in his view. So it was almost like he had a laundry list of things that I had done wrong. And he was going to pay me back for those things all at once. Even things that I didn't do. And it was and it was revenge. It was almost like it was so personal. It was something I had done to him. And so I, I would always walk around him in eggshells. At least in the beginning. I was filled with a lot of fear. Then that fear became anger. In fact, the whole reason why we moved, uh, like I, many of you know my story, spent the first 15 years of our life in, in my life in an abusive house where I was being abused emotionally, physically all the time. And that's 
his discipline was like that. It was actually abuse. It was vengeance. It was filled with so much vengeance and re revenge. And he wanted to just teach me the right way. So at first I was filled with a lot of fear. Then ultimately over time it became anger. Can't believe this is happening. But then after a while the anger subsided and then I was just cold. Apathetic. All because of this wrong view, this wrong experience of discipline. Many of you hearing me talk about it right now and you already, it's like your heart's getting cold as I'm speaking. It's like <laughs> slowly getting stone. But you need to understand that discipline is grace. And God is actually on a mission to teach you that discipline's grace. See, discipline is grace because it's God causing, it's him working our outward circumstances to cause our inward selves to look more like him. That's what it is. It's God putting everything in our lives in a certain way in which so that he can morph, he can change our inward selves so that ultimately we will look like Jesus. That's his goal. That's why he uses discipline. And that's why discipline is grace, because God wants to use discipline to make you look more like Jesus. You know, if God never disciplined, like I said, there'd never be any grace. There's always a visiting. There's always something that has to happen when we when we mess up. You know, I know in this house, we recently had. Something called the Naomi discipline, where some of our leaders had had broken confidentiality in a certain area, and they had they they had to experience discipline because of it. And many people wanted to say, you know what? That's that's wrong. Why would you do that? It's all good. Why 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 would you? Why can't you just say it's it's all right? That's because that's not that's not godly discipline. And so they, they stood up and they apologized to us for for what they had done. And it was a sobering moment. But it was interesting watching different people's responses from it. Some people were filled with. Remorse and fear. Other people were filled with anger. And then some people were just apathetic. Doesn't affect me. So what? I'll take the discipline, whatever. And it's because there's still a misunderstanding that discipline is grace. Make it real personal today. Make it real personal today. Why am I talking about discipline being grace? Why am I... Why did it get so serious all of a sudden? Why is no one laughing? Because I want to talk to you today about church discipline. Church discipline is a taboo topic in the church. People don't like to talk about church discipline. There are many churches that don't do church discipline. You know, it's all grace. So what you're sleeping with your girlfriend and you're living with her and you try to be a member of this church. It's okay. It's all grace. 
So what if you continue in this sin pattern and you're unrepentant? It's all grace. Then there's other houses that are on the other extreme. You know, you walk through the door, you mess up. You're a sinner. Get out. It's like, what, what? I, I'm a newcomer. <laughs> you know, many people don't like to talk about church discipline. It's a taboo topic in most churches. But I want to tell you, it's not taboo here at New Philly. It's not taboo here at New Philly because church discipline is about God purifying his bride. Church discipline is about God preparing you and I for the plans that he has for us. And without church discipline as a community, we'll never step into what God has for us. No, can't we just love one another? Can't we just, it's okay, it's all good. It's no no worries. That keeps us from stepping into what God actually has for us. Many churches are dead Now, because they refuse to deal with sin in their midst. You walk into a congregation and you're wondering why it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I'll tell you why church discipline is not taking place. Why there's a church split and and no one and so many people's lives are being broken. So many people are now hurt and disillusioned. And it's because no one wanted to talk about the sin that was going on in their midst. Church discipline. In 1 Corinthians, Paul introduces and well not introduces because Jesus ultimately is the first person to introduce church discipline. Paul talks about church discipline and he talks about it specifically in first Corinthians chapter five. I want you guys to look there. We're going to go through this chapter. And like I said, I'm going to be real clear with you today. So that means I may not rush, but I, I want you to get this. It's important. We're going to just start out. We're going to start out with verses one to two. I'm going to read it. First Corinthians chapter five, verses one to two. Paul writes, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even from pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. See, we've got a problem in the church of Corinth. We've got a serious issue in the church of Corinth. What's happening is Paul wasn't even in Corinth. He was someplace else. But a report comes to Paul that, yo, Paul, you need to hear about what's going on in our, in our church. What's, what's happening? Uh, so... We got this uh, brother in the church, you know, his name is, okay, I'm not going to use any names. <laughs> it's like, newcomer's like, that's my name. <laughs> There's this brother who's in the church and he's sleeping with his stepmother. He's not just, they're not just sleeping together, they're living together. I mean, this is crazy. This is like some Maury Povich kind of stuff. 
Like, this stuff, this is awful. You know, Jerry, yeah, Jerry Springer. This is some <laughs> awful stuff, right? Disgusting, right? You've got this guy. He's a brother in the church. He's coming out on Sundays. He's worshiping. I lift my hands. He's doing the whole thing. And then he goes home and he's sleeping with his stepmother. But the thing is, is that everyone knows it because that's how the report got to Paul. And see, the biggest thing is that the biggest problem wasn't with what he did. I want you to catch this. The biggest problem wasn't with his sin. The problem was with the church's response to it. See, Paul says it's been reported that there's sexual immorality among you. That word sexual immorality, though, it doesn't just mean that someone's sleeping together. It's a Greek word, porneo, where we get the word pornography. It's a word that they use to encompass all sexual immorality altogether. He says there's sexual immorality happening among you. A man is with his father's wife. And he says, are you and you are arrogant. Ought you not to mourn? See, what was happening was that the people in the church, they knew that he was sinning. They knew that this brother, that this member, that this person who was in covenant with the church was in sin, but no one wanted to confront him about it. Everyone gossiped about it because that's how Paul turned out. You know what so-and-so is doing over there? Maury Povich kind of stuff. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, you, will you talk to him? I ain't going to talk to him. I ain't going to talk to him. It was Maury Povich. Oh, you tell, you tell so-and-so? Yeah, I told so-and-so. Yeah, mm, Jerry Springer. Mm. Snap. We're going to send in his application to Jerry right now. There was gossip. Everyone knew what was going on, but no one wanted to confront him. No one. In fact, everyone tolerated it. And see, Paul's focus was not upon the man's sin, but rather the responsibility of the community towards his sin. See, that's why I started off talking about discipline. That's why I started off talking about personal discipline, the discipline that you and I experience personally, because what you've experienced in your view of discipline characterizes how you will administer it. Is it godly? What is your view of the sanctity and holiness that a community should display? Ask yourself. No one thought to confront this man. No one thought to go to him and say, listen, what you are doing is sin. What you are doing is wrong. This man was fully unrepentant. It was out in the open. He didn't want to deal with it, but no one wanted to deal with him. But Paul, Paul made it very clear what should happen to this man. Let him who has done this be removed from you. Let him be expelled. Let him be kicked out. Give him the right foot of fellowship. Give him his go card. Just get out. Do not pass go. Do not get $200. Get up out. You are not welcome here. Somebody say, oh, that's harsh. Why would you do that? You're not like Jesus. Jesus was the man who made a whip and then went into the temple and was hitting stuff. Pastor Christian talked about it, hitting an oxen even. I don't think he hit an oxen. I don't know. 
Jesus probably had great aim, you know? He's like, around the oxen. But the funny thing about that passage where it talks about Jesus doing that, it says that Jesus went in, he cleared everyone else out, and then he would not permit anyone to come in. Jesus knew about church discipline. Paul said, kick him out. You know, at New Philly, we've had more than one occasion where we've had to do that. We had a brother that was a leader in the church. I'm going to be real today. We had a brother that was a leader in the church. He was here worshiping with us, considered him a brother, considered him a leader. But he was in a sexual relationship that he refused to do anything about. We confronted him. We said, listen, this is sin. What you're doing is wrong. You need to stop. And he's like, but I love her. He was unrepentant. He did not want to deal with that. And so we had to deal with him. We said, well, what you are doing is poison to our community. You must go. There are people that have entered, and not just members, but non-members alike, where I've had to confront personally and say, listen, you're no longer welcome here. You have to leave. Let the fear of the Lord come for a moment. I didn't, we didn't do this because we felt like, oh, we, didn't, we don't ask people to leave because, you know, we're just really strict here. It's because we don't take a light view to sin. In church discipline, I want to tell you something. Church discipline is not just for the extreme cases. The issue isn't the extremity of your case. The issue is Repentance. You know, if you're a part of this community and you're continuing in sin, secret sin, unrepentant sin, and you decide that you want to be here in this community and you want to worship with us and you want to be here and you want to be a part of what God is doing here, expect to be confronted on that sin. I'll tell you right now, expect to be confronted. Because we don't want to cheapen grace. And discipline is grace. You know, for some of you, if you've been unrepentant or there's sexual immorality, divisive behavior. You want me to tell you what division can be? Some people say, well, I'm not starting my own prayer meetings. That's not, that's division. No, divisive behavior is saying, you know, I'll talk to Pastor John Michael, but I won't talk to Pastor Marcus. That's divisive. Pastor Diana is my pastor, but not Pastor John Michael, not Pastor Marcus. That's division. Well, I only feel comfortable. Talk. That's divisive. It causes separation in this house. And the Bible says you warn that person once or is it twice? Once and then again, and then they're no longer a part of the fellowship. You ask them to leave. There's some of you in this house who have been taking part in divisive behavior and the grace has ran out. Let it be real today. Maybe it's disregard for the community, disregard for the 
honoring and submitting to the leaders. That's, that's sin. The Bible says obey your leaders and submit to their authority. If you're going to be a, a member of this community, we, we expect you to uphold the word of God. That was Paul's expectation. All right, man, in New Philly, they're really strict. No, we're not. If you want us to really be strict, Paul didn't even go through any steps. <laughs> Paul didn't even talk. He didn't have a conversation with him. He didn't say, you know what? I'm going to come to Corinth. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a couple sessions. We're going to kumbaya it a bit. Make sure you feel good. I feel good. And then we'll ask you to leave. No, Paul didn't do that. He said, I heard that this was happening. Kick him out. <laughs> That's gangster. <laughs> Man, God is gangster. What about robbing God? In your tithes and offerings. Many of you, you've been robbing God, and, and our approach to that has been that we'll give you, quote-unquote, grace. But the real grace is for you to be confronted, for someone to approach you and say, listen, what you're doing is wrong, and you're bringing curses upon yourself, and you're bringing down the standard of stewardship in this house. But worst of all, what about knowing that there's sin in your midst? Knowing that people around you are committing sin and being unrepentant and not wanting to deal with it and you doing nothing about it. See, that was the central issue that Paul had in this chapter. He said, there, is, there are things going on. I know that there is sin in your midst, but you are turning, you're looking the other way. He called it arrogance. He called it pride. You know, that, that's not pride. That's not pride. That's humility. I'm not a pastor. I don't want to deal with it. No, it's pride because for a minute there, you assume that you're God and that you're going to cover their sin with your grace. It's pride. It's arrogance. But Why? Why would Paul say this? Why would Paul bring this topic up? It's kind of weird, too, because even in the flow of this chapter, he's like, Paul, we're having a good time here. You know, we're talking about just <laughs> we're talking about the kingdom being a matter of, of power. Like, it's great. And now you want to talk about this? You want to talk about church discipline? Why? I'll give you three reasons. The first is that church discipline. And when I say church discipline, what I'm talking about specifically for you is confronting someone in the house that you know is living in unrepentant sin. Church discipline is being a vessel of God's grace first to the individual. Church discipline is being a vessel of God's grace to that individual that is in sin. First and foremost. Let's look at let's look at verses um, four and five. Paul says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, 
with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You're wondering, how is that of it being a vessel of God's grace? Pastor Marcus, you're saying that grace is giving someone over to Satan. I didn't say it. The word of God said it. Paul said, you are to deliver this man to Satan. Like, here you go, Satan. Here's this brother that I've been fellowshipping with. It's, it's hard. Here, delivering this man over to Satan. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that like Satan's like standing outside the church like. It's FedEx. Thank you. You know, it's not picking people up like a parcel. But what it's talking about is that a person who's living in sin, unrepentant sin, and it's a part of a covenant community. Actually being a part of that covenant community and being a part of that covering and being in that fellowship, that's actually providing a place for their sin to grow worse, not better, especially if they're unrepentant. Because they keep it secret, they keep it hidden, they keep it buried. And all of a sudden, what was a small sin? It starts becoming bondage. And now all of a sudden, it's starting to become this big egregious sin. He says, no, what you need to do is you need to kick him out of the church. He actually said you need to do it publicly. When you are assembled, when you are gathered, you need to kick this person out. And you need to hand this individual over to Satan. See, when you're a part of a covenant community and you're living in unrepentant sin, it, it creates this false sense of security in terms of your sin. You start to think, well, you know what? I can keep doing this. Everyone lets me come out. Everyone's my best friend. I, I still have as many Facebook friends as I had before. It's all good. You know, I, no one really cares. I mean, everyone probably knows, but you know, everyone still, I, I still get coffee with the pastor. It's all good. It creates this false sense of pride and security. You begin to think that sin is okay. You begin to think that this unrepentant sin is perfectly normal. See, there's so many churches that don't deal with church discipline and therefore their doctrine of sin. They look at sin like it's completely normal. It's OK for you to be in sin. You, you can be a member of this house and be in sin. You can sleep around. It's OK because, you know, we can't really deal with sin. Now, all of a sudden, that access that this person would have to grace is just getting harder and harder and harder. So Paul, he circumvents it. He says, kick them out and hand them over to Satan. But the reason why Paul says, hand this person over to Satan is not to be mean. And you're thinking, oh, that's so cruel. Why would you give someone to Satan? He says, give them to Satan so that while their flesh will be destroyed, their spirit might be saved. You know, God is more concerned with your spiritual health and your spiritual preservation than he is anything in the natural. And God will orchestrate the very things of your life, even allowing Satan to come in. If it means that at the end of the day, your soul will be preserved. You don't believe me? Saul. K. 
kings Saul. There, there came a moment where Saul sinned and got to a place where God said, that's enough, Saul. Take you home. It's harsh. It's arrogant. We cannot help them. Many people say that. You know, when we were, when we were asking people to leave, there were so many people who were saying, I feel like this is wrong. I feel like this is wrong. I feel like this is harsh. How are we going to help them if we kick them out? That's the most arrogant thing you can say. See, God's way is you remove them from the fellowship and then you leave, you leave them to their own devices and pray that they be brought to repentance. See, when a person is kicked out of the fellowship, their flesh is destroyed one way or the other. Either because it gets put to death by repentance and turning back to the Lord or they get put to death. God takes them home early. Read your Bibles. It's there. When you ask someone or you tell someone, you remove them from the fellowship, what you are doing is you are giving them grace. Because they have gotten to a point where they cannot go any further in your fellowship. Now the best thing is just to give them over to the Lord. May God have mercy on your soul. I really believe that that's a moment where God really begins to display the depths of his love to that individual. When they're removed from the fellowship. I believe that that's the moment where God begins to show how far he's he's really willing to go to pursue them. To bring them back into his good graces. The second thing, it's not just being a vessel of grace to that individual but it's being a vessel of grace to the entire community. It's church discipline's about. Verses 6 through 8. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old that you may have a new lump as you are already unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says just a little bit will spread throughout the entire batch. He says just a little bit of sin. See, one of the biggest lies that the enemy brings us is that our sin, sin is a me issue. It is a me, myself, and God issue. Don't talk to me about my sin, Pastor. Don't be trying to confront me about my stuff. Who are you, who are you to, to talk to me? Or maybe your brother and sister in Christ. What, why are you confronting me? Who are you to... This is between me and God. That's our mindset. It's one of the biggest deceptions that the enemy brings is that sin is just about you. But I want to tell you that your sin is not just about you. Your sin is not your business. Yeah, you know, I really want to talk to you, but it's none of your business. It's like you don't know what you're saying because sin is not just your business. It's everyone's business. It's my business. Your sin is my business.
We think that, you know, it's, I don't, why are you always in my business? I don't feel comfortable talking to you about my sin. I don't feel comfortable talking to you about, about this area. You know, it becomes a problem instead of sin, right? So we do problem management. It's like going to a psychiatrist now. I need to feel comfortable to talk to you about my sin. God doesn't have that point of view. God doesn't have that. I'm going to put you with someone who's going to make you feel comfortable enough so you can talk about your sin. God doesn't do that. In fact, he'll probably put someone over you that you don't like and you don't feel comfortable with. Just so that in that situation, you'll get over yourself and begin to deal with your issue. You know, I don't I don't think I can tell anyone, you know. Also, what happens is, oh, I don't I don't feel comfortable telling you or we have this friend that confides in us. You know, I've been struggling with this. I've been dealing with this. And now all of a sudden you feel like, well, I can't tell anyone now. I'm going to they swore me to secrecy. We're we're sin buddies. You know, so many people, I'm being real. There have been many of the people that I pastor. Some of you who have said, I don't think I can talk about this issue because they confided in me. As if sin is a me issue. Sin is not a me issue. Sin affects everyone. And unrepentant sin affects everyone. That one brother that we had to remove from the fellowship, it affected everything. No one felt safe. No one could worship because his sin was seeping through the entire congregation. It was like there was an area. It was so weird. I remember I would be worshiping and it's like the spirit of the Lord's here. I'm like, I'm feeling his anointing. It's like God is here. God's presence is here. And then I would just go to the back just to get some water. And it was like there was a pocket of deadness. It was like, where'd you go, Jesus? What happened? It's because sin affects everyone. You don't believe me? Look in the Old Testament. The book of Joshua, chapter 6. You see that God tells them to go and to conquer Jericho. Right? They go in. But right before they go in, Joshua gives them a command. He says, take nothing. Kill everything. God is gangster. He says, kill everything. Kill the livestock. Like, kill everything. Mr. Ed, all of it. Gone. Just kill it all. But any silver and gold you find, you make sure to take that and bring it to the house of God. Don't keep it for yourself. You make sure to do that. Everyone tells them, cool. They're going around. They're doing their shouts. The wall comes down. Everyone rushes in. Everyone rushes in. They come out and they keep moving forward. They keep moving forward and now they go to this area called I, A-I. They go to this area and they go in to fight, but all of a sudden they get defeated. 36 people, 36 men. They didn't lose anyone before. Now 36 of their brothers get killed. Joshua's like, what's going on? God, I thought you were with me. I thought we were tight, like ride or die. What's going on? All of a sudden, he says, there are some, there are some things that, you t- that were taken. He finds out there was one guy, one, one guy. See, the reason they were defeated was because when they went into Jericho, one guy took silver and gold for himself. One. And because of that one guy, 36 other people died. 
He didn't even die. 36 other people died. Imagine if you were one of their relatives. I'm like, let me add him. What's his name? 36 people died because he took something. Oh, my sin doesn't affect anyone. It affects everyone. See, your business is the community's business. And I don't mean that in terms of gossip. We don't allow gossip here in this house. Zero tolerance for gossip. I mean, your business is the community's business because when you confess your sins to one another and we pray for one another, that's when you're healed. That's what James 5.16 says. When your sin, when you bring it out, when you bring it out in the community, that's the only place where you're going to experience that transformation. But if you decide to stay in it and be unrepentant, it affects everyone here. Even people you've never met before. But when we, when we speak and we, we confront, all of a sudden there's a grace that's given to the entire community. When that person is removed, there's a grace. That's grace to the community. Because now this, that, there's a greater level of freedom that comes. You know, here at New Philly, we, we've said it before that sometimes God does addition by subtraction. You ever seen that where God removes one person and then all of a sudden the church begins to grow? Why do you think that is? It's because that person's sin or that unforgiveness or that bondage has began to seep and began to put a cap over the entire community. And it stays that way the the longer the community decides they don't want to deal with it. You know what keeps us from confronting people in in the house? Fear. What will they say if I confront them? But really, what they say doesn't matter. What matters is the community. A lot of times we fear what that person might do if we confront them. You know, I know that that person, I know they're in sin, but... I'm kind of afraid of what they may do if I really call them out. Maybe they'll get worse. Maybe they'll just rebel and really go off the deep end. You realize Paul had zero fear in regards to what the person might do. He never, he never said, you know, when you confront them, make sure that they're not going to do something crazy afterwards. Why am I saying this? Because this needs to be broken in your mindset. That somehow what this person's response is should characterize your obedience to God's word. I mean, Paul said, hand him over to Satan. He did not care about that guy's response. He was not like, we need to poll him and make sure he's okay. He just said, hand him over. Zero fear. Like I said, either way, their flesh would be destroyed. And the third... The third thing is that church discipline is necessary because the church, we are meant to be the vessel that heals the world. Not the other way around. We're meant to be the vessel that the word of God says that there will come a time where people from all over will say, let's go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. 
the church is meant to be a light that shines. It's not meant to be covered. It's meant to be an example. It's not meant to be just like everything else. I'm going to read through verses 9 to 13. He said, I wrote to you in my letters. There was a previous letter that Paul wrote. He said, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Or the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters. Because then you would need to go out of the world. You'd never be able to do any outreach then. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler, causing division, causing all these different things, a drunkard or a swindler, someone who's cheating other people, not even to eat with such a one. No coffee, no pizza. Don't even eat with him. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. The Bible makes it clear that in other passages that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And the reason why judgment begins in the house of the Lord is because God looks to the church to be the example for the rest of the world. You know, if you're a newcomer coming in, I know you're probably sitting here like, you know, I I just met Jesus last week. Like, what are you talking about? You know, I don't even know what membership is. This is crazy. This guy's crazy. Mustard color pants guy is crazy. Not talking to you. I'm talking to the people who come in here and they decide that they're going to be brothers. I'm a Christian. Really? I'm a member. I attend this house. Even if you haven't necessarily taken the membership class, but you continue to attend and you continue to come out. I don't, I don't look at you as just a newcomer anymore or just someone who just happens to stop by as a visitor. No, you're, you're taking on the name of a brother in this house. God says judgment begins in the house of the Lord because God looks to the church to decide what the protocol is for the rest of the world. When I was in Myanmar, I preached a message about light and darkness. And one of the revelations that God gave me in Myanmar was that light sets the protocol for darkness. Light decides how much darkness there is. Darkness does not decide how much light there is. It's not like darkness gets together and says, you know, we really dislike light. So we're going to make it really hard for light to shine. No, it doesn't happen like that. Light decides how much darkness there is. But when... Those of us who are meant to be the light are looking like those in darkness. How much, how much light is there? See, God looks to the church because we set the protocol for the rest of the world. Why is there church discipline? Because God is about purifying his house. Because if he can do that here, the rest of the world becomes very easy. You know, the church is meant to be a place where the sexual, sexually immoral, the swindler, the gossiper, 
the drunkard, the drug user, the fearful, the broken, the hurt. It's meant to be a place where they come and get healed. Not a place where they come and are tolerated. I'm going to say that again. The church is meant to be a place where the broken, the hurt, the sin, the, the sexually immoral, those who are in addiction. It's meant to be a place where they come and get healed. Not to be a place where they come and are tolerated. Not to be a place where they come. And everyone says, oh, you, you're jacked up? I'm jacked up too. <laughs> but that's what happens in most churches. And for many of us, there's a temptation to be that way. Oh, well, I don't know if I can confront them about their sin because, man, I got some issues of my own. But there's a big difference. Your issue has accountability and covering. There's someone walking you through that. But there's, they're not even wanting to repent of it at all. Your issue is an issue of immaturity. Theirs is an issue of rebellion. It's very different. This past uh, week, I went down to a city called Gunsan. I never knew where Gunsan was before. Uh, me and a friend, we just were like, you know, I had a day off. It was Chuseok weekend. Let's go someplace I ain't never been before. And so he just picked out a map and was like, all right, we'll go here. And I was like, all right, let's go. So we hop on a train three hours down south to the southwest. And we go to this area called Gunsan. If you're from Gunsan, I apologize in advance. But there was like nothing there. <laughs> like we got out and I was like, all right, bro, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He's like, bro, there's this really good, small Chinese champong restaurant. Chinese like spicy noodles, spicy seafood noodles restaurant. And I looked at him and I thought, okay, we came here three hours for some seafood soup. Okay, all right. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you some grace right now. What else is there? There's this bakery. I was like, all right. What's so special about this bakery? Like, does, does their does their bread jump on my plate? Like, what? It's like, what? What's going on with this? It's got special properties. He's like, no, it's just really old. Seafood soup and some old bread. That's what we're here for. All right. All right. All right. Let's get out the map. We get out the Google Maps. And we start walking around. And as we're walking around Gunsan, we're noticing something really particular, really crazy. I have never seen more churches in a particular area in my entire life. There was like a church here, a church on top of that church, a church right beside the church, a church right across, right across the street. And I was like, what's going on? Like, who attends these churches? Because we're walking around and we don't see anyone. We're like, what kind of church? It's like attendance of three. Like, what is going on with these churches? There's churches everywhere, like a church right beside Lotte Mart. Like, you go to church, you go to Lotte Mart, you go back. Like, what's going on? We're walking around and we're so confused. Actually, there was one other thing there. It was called the Gunsan Maritime Theme Park. So we got really excited. Uh, and so like, we were like, yeah, you know what? Everyone else is up in Seoul. 
but we're going to be riding some rides, yo. It's going to be awesome. And we got to the theme park. <laughs> and it was a park with a theme. <laughs> like it was no I'm, I am not I am not kidding it was a park with a theme like we were walking around and I, it's like there's these like model ships and, and we the oldest people there we are the oldest ones there all these little kids are like running around they're jumping on stuff I just looked at him all these churches everywhere come back we find out that gunsan holds the world record for most churches in an area crazy who would have thought like we didn't go to church while we were there maybe we should have stepped into a prayer meeting or something it's like what are y'all doing in here ain't nobody up in this piece gunsan holds the world record for most churches in one area but the craziest thing was is as we were walking around we didn't just notice the number of churches we also noticed the number of love motels and brothels. They were everywhere. There was one particular place. This, this freaked us out. We would have took, taken pictures, but like I never get scared in Korea, like ever. But we were kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It was dark. The street didn't have no street lights. It was weird. Um, we're walking down the street, and we see church, brothel, church. Brothel, love motel, love motel, church, love motel. That's interesting. Like, do they go? Do they just walk down the street like on Sundays? Go from the church to the brothel, back to the church, repent, go back. And you're like, what do they do? Realize what happens is that all those churches. It was funny too. We jumped in a car. And our Google Maps, we were like, we need a place to stay. So I type in hotels in Gunsan, right? I did not type motels. I typed hotels. Big difference in Korea. Hotels. Hotels. Oh, snap. They pop up. I see one. It's like the Ritz. Ritz Plaza Hotel. I'm like, all right, okay. We jump in the cab. Take us to the Ritz. Always wanted to say that. <laughs> Take us to the Ritz. <laughs> Ritz Hotel. He's like, huh? Hotel? Hotel, yeah. Hotel, motel. Motel. We pull up. It's the Ritz Plaza Motel. Snap. Now we got to get up out of here. Okay. We jump in another car. Take us to this hotel. Fox Hotel. That's what it said on Google Maps. I know Apple Maps is bad, but Google Maps need to work on their hotel motel stuff. Um, I type in that, and what happens is we hop in his car, cab driver's blasting worship music. I'm thinking he's going to hook us up. Like he going to know, like this is a legit place. We're going to be safe. It's going to be all good. We jump in. Fox Hotel. He's like, why do you want to go there? I'm like, we're looking for a place to stay. He's like, Fox Hotel. He's like, same thing. Hotel, yeah. Hotel, no. Hotel, no. Hotel, motel. Fox, motel. And so... David, who's with us, he's, he's, uh, he's like, well, can you take us to a place? He's like, that place is dirty. And he's like, can you take us? He's, he points to me, and he's like, Moksanim. You know, he's a pastor. Moksanim in Korean. He's like, he's a pastor. He's like, oh, Moksanim. Oh, definitely not, right? 
He's like, oh, definitely not, right? I'll take you to a clean hotel. He takes us to the cyber motel. That's what it was called, cyber motel. He's got his cross dangling. Now, as we're riding, I'm thinking two things. First, why is every hotel actually a motel? And then two, how does this guy know which hotels are clean and which ones are dirty? He, he's a resident of Gunsan. He's got no reason to go and stay in the hotel. How does he know what's clean and what's dirty? Blasting the worship music. You know why we have church discipline? Because it's funny. It's an interesting paradox. These churches in that area, churches everywhere, but they're not reaching anyone. And the interesting thing is that a church that tolerates sin is completely ineffective in reaching a sinner. We think we need to tolerate sin. Your sin is okay, then I'll reach them. No, that's not how it works, actually. You become relevant for all the wrong reasons. See, a church that tolerates sin, ineffective in reaching anyone. No one gets saved. No one gets set free. It was like my experience when I first went to church as a believer. I walked in and I saw everybody that I went to the club with. There was not much motivation for me to change. God desires for his church, for this church, to be a pure and spotless bride. And he's committed and we are committed to doing whatever is necessary to make that happen. There are many of you that have had sin issues that you have not wanted to deal with. Maybe issues that you've kept under the rug. Maybe uh, maybe there's things that you've not, out of fear, thought that I shouldn't deal with or I should keep hidden. But I want to tell you that this is the place where you can deal with it. This is the place where you're meant to experience healing. Too many believers are being broken in the church and trying to experience healing in the world. God wants you to be healed here so you can reach the broken in the world. But you got to deal with your sin. You got to deal with your mistakes. You got to deal with your fears. You got to deal with some of these issues. You got to have courage. It's about being brought to maturity in Christ. And I'm going to end with this. I'm going to say this to you as lovingly as possible. Either you come into this house, you deal with these issues, deal with some of your mistakes, deal with some of maybe even the mistakes that you're currently walking in. Bring them to light. You know, in light, So many of us fear the light, but 
When you bring it to light, that's where the healing process can take place. That's where the salvation can take place. That's where you can really begin to walk it out. Either you, but, but I'm going to be real with you. In this house, either you deal with it. Either you deal with it. Or you need to find another place to go. Because God desires for his church and his people to walk in his purity and in his grace. And this, even these words I'm telling you right now, is grace to you. It's grace. Let's pray. Before we we uh, before we go into announcements and we end today's service, I want to give you a chance to respond. Just being real with you today. In the Bible, well, actually in the church, in Christian life, there's this, this misunderstanding of this area in the Bible where it talks about where the Pharisees indict Jesus for hanging out with the tax collectors and prostitutes. And many people have said, well, oh, look, don't you see Jesus hangs out with the sinners? Don't you see Jesus hangs out with the tax collectors and, and prostitutes? said he said he came to call not the righteous but sinners but the interesting thing about that passage of scripture is that those people they all ended up becoming followers of Jesus they all ended up becoming disciples they didn't say I'm going to follow Jesus and, and their lives not change it's not possible there was a certain aspect where their lives had to change their lives had to shift around the message and the power that Jesus had displayed anything else would have been a cheap grace God did not send his only son to die on the cross he did not put all the punishment of sin upon his only son that we would continue to walk in our sin he did it so that we would be healed he did it so that we would change so I want to give you an opportunity right now and this is not for you to try and do all the praying right now and then leave feeling better. This time actually is for you to make a commitment in your heart to deal with sin in the context of a community. For you to deal with your issues in the context of trust and love in this community. For some of you, especially a lot of you leaders, this is the time where you're gonna you need to make a commitment that you're gonna actually confront sin. You're not gonna tolerate it much longer. If you've been wondering why there's been a block, maybe in your prayer life or in your intimacy with God, I'm gonna tell you the truth of the matter is that it's sin. That's the reason. 
either tolerating it or committing it, one or the other. So I want you to take this moment. And if you're saying before the God, God, I'm making this commitment. I want to deal with sin. And I want to deal with these issues in my life. And I want to deal with it here in this community. I want you to pray that prayer and bring that before the Lord. And then afterwards, maybe not this week, whatnot, I want you to make that commitment by speaking to someone about it. You can talk to any of the pastors. Join a small group. Join a community group. So you can really deal with this and be healed and be transformed. And leaders, I think there's specific things that you've been overlooking that God is bringing up even right now. And I want you to make a commitment that you're going to actually deal with it now. Let's begin to pray together right now. Let's all pray. Let's begin to make those commitments in our heart. Like I said, actually, even as we're praying, the Lord's bringing something up. One of the biggest reasons we fail to confront our sin or even sin in other people's lives is the fear of man. We fear what other people may think. We fear what how other people will react.
Lord, that I feared man more than I feared you. I feared what other people would say more than I feared you, more than I revered you. Really, that word for fear, in the Hebrew, it means reverence, worship, to revere, to lift up something high. The reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, confess, Lord, I've revered, I've worshipped man more than I've worshipped you. Because that's the truth, that's the heart motive right there. Just begin to repent and bring that before God right now. Begin to change your mind, make a decision that you're going to revere God more than man from this day forward. Everyone start praying right now. Everyone, let's just begin to start praying right now. This is powerful for their lives. This is powerful for their lives. These things change in their lives. Everyone start praying right now. I don't care if it's your first time here. I want everyone to pray and pray for these people that are standing. Pray that they would have courage right now to confront these fears. standing right now, Lord. And Father, I come against, Lord, the spirit of fear. Father, we come against the spirit of timidity, God, and we break it off of them right now in Jesus' name. And Father, we declare that you have not given them a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. And God, where fear has come in, Lord, and it stripped them of power, it stripped them of love, it stripped them of true love, and it stripped them of wisdom, God. Father, I decree and declare right now, God, that, Lord, that wisdom that wisdom is coming back to them right now, God. That, Father, that true love, a true understanding of love is coming back to them right now, God. That, Father, that they will understand and see that your love is full, God. It is not just a cheap love, God, but it is a full love, a costly love, God. And, Father, I pray for power, Lord, to be upon them, courage to be upon them, God. Yes, Lord, courage to deal with sin, courage to confront sin. Because, God, you've dealt with it already on the cross. Yes, Jesus. Yeah, Father, and I just I just prophesy over, over each one of them that, God, that they're not going to be intimidated by man any longer. They're not going to be intimidated by man any longer. They're not going to be contem- intimidated specifically by people that are close to them. It's been people that are close to each one of you that you felt like you needed to speak out or you needed to say things and you're not because of fear. Or there's been things you needed to confess to even people close to you, but you've not because of fear. But Father, we just remove that right now. And their minds are changing right now in Jesus' name. And God, they're going to begin to step into a whole new level, God. They're going to begin to step into your instruction. They're going to begin to step into your wisdom. So yes, Lord, I release that over them right now, God. I just bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name.